You are listening to my Top 10 TV podcast. Hello and welcome to another sublime episode of my Top 10 TV podcast. We've had some lovely comments and thank you for those who have liked and shared the podcast so far. So this week's episode may well be one of my favourites. Not that I can have favourites, they're like children. I love them equally, even the ones who scribble crayon all over the newly painted kitchen walls. This week's guest is Radio Times host and TV journalist par excellence, Kellyanne Taylor, who delivers a tour de force of a top ten, and believe me when I say you will absolutely want to go and find some of Kellyanne's top ten shows. Anyway, that's enough from me. Here is episode five of my top ten TV, and it's a cracker. So, uh, yes, again, thank you for uh, giving your time over to this. It's always a, it's always a really a, a pleasure to to hear somebody from the industry and obviously does this as a job. Uh, so please do let's dive into your TV watching habits and give us your number 10. So my number 10 is Sherlock, the BBC adaptation that follows um, the sleuth as he goes around London solving crimes. Um, in tow is Watson played by Martin Freeman, Sherlock is Benedict Cumberbatch. And um, when I was asked for my top 10, I wanted to choose shows that really marked or came from an era in my life. And for me, Sherlock was very much my teenage years. It was me finding my feet. Um, And what I loved about it was how sucked in I got. And it was probably one of the first times in my life that... I'd started watching something and was then following when the new series was out and buying paraphernalia that was Sherlock themed in a way that, you know, I guess people had kind of done with the likes of Harry Potter and Doctor Who. But this was perhaps my first kind of cultural obsession thing. I remember watching this uh, with my best friend and we had a sleepover at our house. I think maybe when all of the episodes were out or perhaps they dropped all at once, but it was this big event and then I remember everyone going to sleep and me staying up and re-watching them because as you say I think there's so much I mean Sherlock as a character is so well known and so beloved kind of globally and he already has a following he already there's so many associations and I think when when you come to it as a viewer you're you're bringing those things you know I, I grew up reading the books and so I had a preconception of what Sherlock looked like what he felt like and I think when somebody as talented as Benedict Cumberbatch came along and took elements of the ro- role as we know and as we loved it but put his own twist on it mm-hmm. and at the time you know I hadn't seen him in anything else uh, it was revolutionary in terms of that and I think it was the era, and I think those programs where someone has become so synonymous with the yeah. role, a great dynamic as well between um, Cumberbatch and Freeman. It was, yeah, I think it's one of those things that it's, for me now feels very nostalgic. Like mm. it feels like very um, linked to that period of my life where I was, you know, 16 probably maybe a tiny bit younger um and really coming to terms with like wanting to go into something creative um and those kind of shows I think especially that run and foster and and harbor themselves on an audience that are a little bit nerdy I think is um absolutely it's always to be celebrated no absolutely yeah what is it embrace the geek yeah And that they did. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, that's a great starter for for 10 and a bit of a gear change. But again, one I'm a huge fan of. So please give us your number nine. So this is Gogglebox. It is my ultimate comfort TV. It gives you such an insight into 
I think like the, the the beauty of the UK is we have such a mix of different people from different backgrounds, different um, who do different jobs and this real kind of honing in, which Gogglebox does on these individual lives that, you know, it, it could be your neighbor, it could be a street away. It's the everyday man watching TV and how we connect with it. And I think, you know, what we saw over lockdown as well is how important the arts is as something to connect with. And people might say, oh, television or film, it's, you know, it's just filler for your everyday life. Yeah, but there is a real genuine joy and connection. And I think programs like Gogglebox um, and seeing like raw, unfiltered reactions to shows that we're also watching creates a sense of connection and also i mean it's just hilarious like some of the some of the people in there are just brilliant i, I don't know about you but whenever i speak to friends or, or i'm watching tv and a, a friend will message me and say right this will be on gogglebox at the weekend because you just know the bits that they are looking for and looking at and quite often yeah. you will be right sometimes it'll be a news item sometimes you'll be watching a nature documentary and you kind of go right this will be in but that's that's the the beauty of the program is because you effectively get a week's worth of television in an hour yeah. And you also get to listen to what your friends, in inverted commas, think about it. It's just brilliant. It, it is almost the perfect format. Yeah, and it's one of those, I think, sometimes simple is good. I think we've got all of these big game shows and quiz shows and Saturday night takeaway shows and et cetera, et cetera. And actually, like, the format that's really captured the nation is just simply yeah. What are people watching and what do they think when they watch it? And like you say, it is a preview into what, what television has been on, what you've missed, what you should watch. Um, it's a way of keeping your finger on the cultural pulse, but also it's a way of knowing that, you know, there are scenes where we're all cowering away from the screen or we're saying, what the hell was that person yeah. thinking or why are they doing that? And you realise that actually your response is all part of this big response that humanity feels you're it's not yeah. an isolated thing and that's yeah. i think yeah the real magic of it big fan of gogglebox so this <laughs> i've got to say this show passed me by and it's not very often this happens so yeah please give us your number eight so this is the escape artist and i'll do a little explainer it's david tennant playing a barrister uh it was a three-parter when it originally came out on the bbc but you can now watch it as a two-parter on amazon prime and what it does is it follows david tennant uh, plays this barrister who defends he's a criminal barrister defends this man in court who has been accused of a crime the criminal is cleared it happens very early and what happens is there is a moment where the criminal has an understanding or an inkling that perhaps David Tennant's character doesn't actually think he should have been guiltless but quitted, yeah. David, Tennant, David Tennant's character very kind of high flying, doesn't lose cases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what ensues is this relationship between criminal and barrister, um, and the kind of messiness of the judicial system. I must have watched it again for the first time maybe ten years ago, and it's one of those shows that stays with you. It is plotty until the end. There are twists, there are turns. There's phenomenal acting. I mean, David Tennant, I think, is you know, a generational talent. He is an incredible, uh, multifaceted actor. 
absolute creme de la creme in the industry and it's one of those series again he's he seems to be very good at that in terms of his career he's very good at choosing scripts that allow him to play but also he knows that the writing is phenomenal and this is just one of those stories it's you know it's a mini series it's self-contained but it is just one that will leave you thinking that every other thriller and drama with a big twist should probably try a little bit harder <laughs> well I, I, it's sort of just to let you into a little secret just before we recorded this i went and did a bit a bit of a um, sort of google on this um and first of all i couldn't believe i'd not seen it because i'm a big fan of david Tennant. i think he's i think you're absolutely spot on he's brilliant at picking roles he very rarely picks a bad role um and even though you know he's quite an identifiable person he kind of chameleon like in every role he he does he's mm. he's very good at that he just doesn't ever put yeah anything on. he touches but it's it's also got ashley jensen yes. in it who again incredible actress and their dynamic is fantastic um they play husband and wife um but it's just it's one of those shows that i th- and i think this is done so rarely it's concise it's got pace it's everything is refined there's no nothing then no fat needs to be trimmed. It's mm. just an incredible watch from start to finish. I implore everyone to go and watch it. Which hence why you're you're number eight in your top ten. Yeah, so it's only it's only onwards and upwards from here. And people <laughs> thinking, how does it get any better? Um, okay, so that's a, that's a, a fantastic show to go with, and then we've got another amazing program after, uh, and that's your number seven. So please introduce us. Yeah, so I came to this late. It's Bad Sisters. Um, and everyone was hyping and raving about it. Um, but I wasn't completely sold. I think it was the tagline. It was something something a bit cheesy. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I want another dark comedy in my life. How wrong I was. <laughs> so this show is uh, five sisters. One of them is married to an abuser they're in an abusive relationship she doesn't realize and her four sisters plot and start to plot to kill him the first scene is his funeral so we know he's dead and over the next 10 episodes we are exploring all the different ways they tried to kill him and actually what happened and we don't find out to the very end yeah the again the murder mystery element of it is fascinating but i don't think it is actually what makes it my number seven Mm. I think it's very rarely do we see such fleshed out female characters where there is such depth such such an ability to breathe as characters they're really well formed each so you know five sisters is a lot and each one by the end of the series feels like a friend you know them you know their how they work, what their personalities are like, what their little uh, quirks are. Um, and you feel very protective of them as well, the, the way that they work. And and you see this character played by Anne-Marie Duff, um, you know, being really, really annihilated by this man and his ego. And um, seeing the kind of sisterhood pull together is a, is a really beautiful thing. And I think actually Sharon Horgan, who wrote this and stars in it as the eldest sister, um she's really come into her prime and I think she's a woman who is which we're seeing now luckily a lot more of who's really paving the way for other women to tell their stories and I I 
think a second series is in the works at the moment um and I can't wait to see what they do with it because I think she obviously whatever she tries her hand at again um seems to be television gold yeah no she's um she's mercurial she just seems to be able to nail things one of my favorite series of all time is catastrophe and just the fact that you know obviously she wrote that and kind of you know kind of was in it and just you know how how you know that pulled at her heartstring but also you know kind of like caustically funny she just seems to have that Mm. ability to be able to find those lines that make you kind of gasp but also laugh at the same time and the fact is that you know bad sisters is quite dark in in essence because it's about them plotting to try and the demise of a of a gaslighting bullying man but they're able to or she is able to derive so much humor from that there's a real it's a real innate talent to be able to do that so from one sort of powerhouse um, female writer, performer, kind of bon viveur to another one and you're number six. So this is Fleabag. I had to put this in somewhere. And I think it's, again, you know, powerhouse women um, definitely making their mark. And and there were there were a few that I was contemplating putting in, but I think Fleabag, has to be in the top 10 or most people's top 10 because what she did for the female writer and actor was revolutionary we think about it and a lot of times when I've in my day job as a journalist I speak to my job is to interview and speak to um, actors writers etc etc and what I've noticed is the roles for women when you're looking around on screen, it's getting better. Is it there yet? No. Hmm. And so the idea that these women are taking their own careers in their hands and forging their own pathway by creating incredible stories, um, 3D characters with such relatability and just really good scripts. I mean, we so we've seen it with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. We've seen it with Michaela Cole. Uh, you see it with Rose Matafeo with Starstruck. Yeah. It's it's what she's done with that series, and it wasn't her first series. She had a series previously called Crashing on BBC, which is good. It's not Fleabag level, but it is good. Hmm. Um, and what that I think what really shines through for me is that it's not only a, it's not in my top ten just because it's a good. TV show and mm. I mean everyone fangirled or fanboyed so hard over the priest storyline yeah. which is when Andrew Scott plays the priest um, who Fleabag played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, fancies and they have this relationship and they, you know it's a will they won't they kind of thing yeah but that's that's kind of by the by the reason why I think that this has to be in my top 10 is because of how it shaped the industry afterwards um and what we've seen now which is only ever going to be a good thing is that the spotlight and the microphone is is being given to people who haven't always had access to the platform yeah quite right uh no i can can only agree with every sort of sentiment that you had there um and also it just shows that you know it came from a one-woman show um and to then breathe life and texture and kind of color into such a brilliant kind of ensemble cast is amazing and to give such a kind of delicious nasty vindictive character to um olivia coleman and plays it so well and kind of you know some of those lines are just Mm. you know kind of jaw dropping in in how 
kind of vindictive that I just, yeah, just, just brilliant. But it, it came from the mind of somebody that's clearly, you know, very switched on, very clever and, and knows exactly what you, there isn't a misplaced yeah. punctuation in that script. You just know that those actors got that and just went, yeah, this is, this is great. I want to do this. And number five, it's, I've got to say this, this has not come up in anybody's list yet. And it amazes me. So please tell us your number five. I think it's probably because everyone is way too cool to admit that they like it. And I thought when I was when I was compiling this list, I thought, how how could I not? How could I not? Because I wouldn't be being true to my TV habit. Um, and there is no guilty pleasure here. This is, of course, friends. It's about six friends who live in New York City and about them navigating life and that is as simple as it is again like we were saying simple concepts the reason why I love it so much is again it was formative to me I remember waking up for school every morning and my mom my mom was a cool mom uh she would let me she would wake me up with a hot chocolate and then eventually when I was old enough coffee I used to have this big brick of a tv right next to my bed you know with a a video tape underneath it and I would turn it on and every morning before school I think from 7 till 7 30 I would watch friends and that would be my wake up for the day and right. you know perhaps some people would say bad parenting I would say thanks mum tv yeah. journalist now yeah. formative um <laughs> but it's one of those shows again that just I think it really stays with people yeah. it's a connection with these characters and the longevity of the show and the success of the show is because they felt like your friends. That was the point. Entirely agree with you. I mean, don't get me wrong. Friends now, when you watch it, has its flaws um, mm. and it has its problems. I mean, predominantly a hugely white cast, which is clearly yeah. not not uh, representative of New York at all because it's obviously a melting mm. pot of different cultures and, you know, kind of backgrounds and ethnicity. Um, and also actually some of the com some of the comedy and some of the comedic kind of tropes haven't aged particularly well but what yeah. has aged well is the fact that they were a brilliant ensemble of six great character actors uh and comedy actors that just gelled so well at the time um and made kind of you know sort of tv gold and you know you can't argue with the fact that they were one of the first uh comedies in us that came to the last show uh, last season and they were all earning a million quid an episode because it was just everybody wanted to know what was going to happen you know ross and rachel that that i mean that that went from episode one right the way through to the very last episode yeah. um joey and kind of how he kind of sort of formed and became more of a kind of character and his relationship with phoebe obviously the the, the whole relationship between uh, monica and chandler and how that developed and testament to a show where it's still being shown around the world um there are still yeah you know tv channels who are buying it at a, you know it's not been reduced in terms of its cost it still costs a fortune to buy friends you know it's on i think you can get it on netflix um, Channel 4 only stopped showing it about four years ago. Channel 5 then bought the rights for some of them as well. It just keeps going. And the scary thing is, it's nearly 20 years old. Yeah. It's so interesting what you say, because um, I think we have this a lot now with, uh, we'll come on to talk about some other shows that I think face similar issues in terms of what do we do with content that is reflective of the time somewhat 
that it was created in and I don't mean in terms of reflects the reality I mm. mean reflects the reality of how the tv industry worked yes. so who was writing who got to tell stories like we say with Fleabag that has been about revolutionizing women having their voice this is the same with these programs like friends and others that we'll speak about later it is a really interesting question and it's one that I don't think I have an answer for but I think is one worth considering and and like you say one of the an, another area of contention and quite rightly so is you know the LGBTQ plus jokes about Chandler's mom and you know areas like that that just stick out but I but I think what's nice is I think as a modern day viewer you realize that some of those jokes don't land and they're archaic and they're not funny and mm. and and they will never be funny in the day and age we're in and I think um looking at it through that lens uh and knowing that there's definitely everything needs to be taken with a pinch of salt no exactly exactly and and, and I think that's the, the perfect piece of advice is it was of its time and you know when I mean especially myself when when I watched it when it was originally out you know it was absolutely it was bang on the money and you didn't question any of it because that's the society we were living in at the time the fact that we've become a little bit more educated we're a little bit more aware um, I think that's when you start to realize that some of the humor doesn't travel particularly well. Quite interesting because yeah. a, a good friend of mine, um, he's got a daughter who's 14, maybe 15. And she's, you know, she's been saying, oh, you know, kind of, I'd like to watch Friends. And he's kind of said no. And I just said, well, why? It's, it's harmless. And he just went, it's very sexual. And actually, when I was kind of watching it, and when I watch it now, it doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't occur to me, because it feels like it's just humor that we've been we've been confronted with for a long time but I think from maybe a 14 yeah. or 15 year old ears now in society that we live in maybe it is a little bit kind of ribald and there are there is some bits of humor especially from the sexual stuff because at the end of the day they were six twenty somethings living in in New York and you know I, I lived in London for 20 years we all know kind of what happens we all know what goes on it's just maybe when it's confronted with somebody who's so young and maybe hasn't had those experiences it might be a bit shocking but you it doesn't meet for me when I think of friends, it's just a warm, cozy kind of yeah. blanket of a show that I know is going to make me laugh. I think for most people that I know, they've seen most of it. Yeah. You're just watching episodes again and again and again. Everyone knows what happens. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of it, is it doesn't it doesn't just it's not just a one watch hmm. wonder. No. It's no. a it's a re binge. It is it's a bingeable binge. Yes. Which <laughs> actually leads us on very well to my next show because away. this was the binge of all binges um i think that this might be 14 series long all of about 24 episodes and i can hand on heart say that i have seen every single episode of this series that's commitment this is criminal minds now many people i think will be asking what the hell is that um <laughs> So Can I just hold my this, hand up and say I was one of them? Yeah, I don't blame you. It's one of those shows that, uh, you know, when you're scrolling through daytime TV and you come across, uh, you know, Law and Order, Law and Order USA, Law and Order UK, et cetera, et cetera, all those franchises, and you think, who the hell watches that? Well, yeah. um, that would be me. 
Um, so Criminal Minds is uh, follows a group of profilers in the FBI. And every episode, pretty much, you've got some that do go over some plot lines that, you know, traverse the series. But predominantly, they are just uh, one episode's crimes that they solve. So these profilers get flown out all over the US and they're there to create a picture of the murderer or the person committing the crime. And then eventually, normally they capture them. But it's again, it's about the characterization. It's about how how well rounded they are. I started watching this. I got a I got Sky at university off the back of my Wi-Fi and they said, oh for an extra five pounds you can have Sky. And I thought, okay, why not? Yeah. Um and this is where my love of it came from. And that's why, you know, it makes sense. Daytime TV. Although now it has been promoted to Amazon Prime. So thank me later. Yeah, 16, 16 series later. I'll, <laughs> I'll see you when I come out the other side. <laughs> you know, it's a lot, but it's one of those programs that, you know, I think everyone's got it. Something that is, this is probably more like a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, I think it's just... The formula, again, it works. It's concise. It's an hour long. You find out who did it. You create this uh, murder. I mean, it's not incredible shooting or filming, but the characters are, you know, very archetypal, but lovable. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah, so for anybody that hasn't hasn't indulged themselves in criminal minds, then I think, as you say, it's on, on Amazon now? Yeah. Yeah, it's so a go, beast. Go, go and find it on Amazon and go and lose half of your life. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, I have to almost feel as if I have to have a special introduction for your next one, because to be perfectly honest, if I was doing my top 10 and I haven't done it, and I probably will at some stage, this would be my number one. And But I'll let you introduce it and tell us first, and then we shall discuss. Uh, it's The Last of Us. It's based on the video game, and it follows... Um, Joel, played by Pedro Pascal, um, and Ellie, in who played by Bella Ramsey, and it follows them in a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic world, um, where people have become infected by a fungus that makes them zombies. Now, if it doesn't sound like something you'd be interested in, that's because the synopsis does not even begin to highlight the incredibleness of this man's storytelling. So the writer is Craig Mazin, who you might know uh, from Chernobyl. He also wrote Chernobyl. Um, and what he does is any kind of area that you think, oh, that's a that's a that's a side character. Yeah. He develops this delicious, deep, incredible, fully fleshed storyline for these characters so episode three of this series which follows which in the game i believe i haven't played the game is two characters kind of side characters this that third episode where he gives them i don't think it's a spoiler to say it but it's a it's a love story mm. between two characters yeah is the best piece of television i have ever seen do you agree? Is that how you feel about it? So pleased you said that. Because episode three genuinely hit me like a juggernaut smack bang yeah. in my face. Because yeah. I remember watching it and thinking, well, where's this going? And then getting so enraptured by this this story of these two guys 
um, and this clearly developing relationship and the really tender, the bits where they're growing the flowers and, you know, just, oh, every, you know, they're, they're, they're tasting wine and kind of, and, you know, you're seeing two, you know, sort of regular guys with regular dad bods and there, there is a, there is a sex scene in there and you, you don't flinch from it. You don't think this is inappropriate. You don't think I don't want to see this. And then the denouement when the final scenes of that episode happen. If you aren't affected emotionally by that, you are made of stone. It's again, yeah. you, you, you summed it up, but I will reiterate. It's the single best piece of narrative television I've ever seen. That kind of television, you know, despite everything else I'm talking about, everything else I'm talking about is incredible within its own right. But this is objectively, I can't name that episode. cannot name anything better. No. I don't think it exists. I'm putting it out there. No, it, I, I, I totally agree. It, it's kind of, it still, still kind of gives me shivers because whenever, yeah, me I, too. When I think about it, and you know, I haven't revisited it, and it's one of the shows I probably will. Um, but no, I, I, I completely agree with you, and it's one of those series that I'm thinking, yeah, do you know what? I do want there to be a season two because I really want to follow those people. Sometimes you just kind of feel oh, it's perfect. Just leave it. We don't need more. This, I'm kind of just bring it on. And now we're on to your penultimate choice. So please give us your number two. So this is Normal People, which I think lots of people will know about or have heard of. It is the adaptation of Sally Rooney's best-selling novel. It follows two characters, Marianne and Connell, played by Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Mescal. It was their breakthrough roles, and they've both obviously gone on to do incredible things. Um, we follow them so closely over 12 episodes it's this will they won't they uh push pull why are people so connected what is it about and I think this is why it did so well and why I love it so much it is at its core ask the question that I don't think any of us know the answer to but we want to is why is it that sometimes this one person has this ability to push pull magnetize you in and amongst the rest of us why yeah. is it out of seven billion people there is one person who you connect with on that different level and again it's incredible uh, script writing sally rooney adapted it herself for the tv and it is so much about dialogue her, her book is about dialogue but it is about those moments of conversation where somehow we're seeing not only what they're saying but what they mean mm -hmm. so there's so much in the silences, in the twists, in the turns, in the miscommunication that reveals so much about these characters and their undeniable bond. And you know, you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about The Last of Us, about seeing sex scenes that don't feel gratuitous and that feel necessary and right. And I don't always think that's the case. And I definitely, as I've come on in my career and when I first started as a journalist, I did an investigation into the reality of filming on screen nudity. And for a lot of actors, it's not a positive experience mm. or there is a lot of room for error. So for me, it has become increasingly more important when I'm watching uh, shows that include nudity, that it doesn't feel gratuitous, that it doesn't feel exploitative or unnecessary that it isn't it is necessary to tell the story because sex is a normal part of everyone's life it's just how much of it do we need to see how much of it does it need to does it does it need to be graphic for us to understand what's happening as a viewer mm. that's another story for another time but I do think we're moving away from mm. 
uh, the necessity of sex and making it just something that everything needs to include. Anyone who watches that program can identify with a time to which you were involved with a person that they were the only thing your world gravitated around. And we know the pain, but we know the joy, we know the sadness and we know the happiness. And it just, I think it encapsulated all of that and did it in such a beautiful, nuanced, kind of almost poetic way um, mm. that, you know, you weren't, it wasn't crash bang wallop. It was, it, you were very much kind of watching sort of this, this kind of development of these characters individually, but also as a, as a, as a couple, as it were. And I think that's just how brilliant it was. And also the fact that it was just very understated, you know, as you say, it was kind of, you know, it was very much an Irish production. Um, it was relatively lo-fi in terms of its production because it was just a lot of it was kind of single camera and it was just about these two people and their world revolving around each other it's a yeah. it's a beautiful piece of television but for very much the reasons as that it wasn't remarkable that made it so remarkable yeah and i think what you said there is it's it's completely that i think for me watching it i was at a time where you know i wasn't experiencing those those feelings that they were experiencing and I think it served as a reminder to me or as a message of of almost like future hope of this is this is what we should aspire to in our own lives when we're looking for human connection this is it at you know its most basic level yeah. this is then a nostalgia for a love that consumes you and I think it's dependent on what kind of person you are. I'm definitely, you know, if I was a sim and I was created, I would my my reason my raison d'être is the love category. Mm, yeah. So I think for me it was yeah, one of those stories that it gives you absolute faith in waiting for the right person and knowing that when you find them it's going to be this and more. So brilliant. Listen, your your top nine so far have been absolutely standout crackers and I've loved it. But now we come to the time where you're going to announce your favourite television in your top 10 of TV. And please tell us what it is. <laughs> I think this will come as absolutely no surprise to anyone who knows me because <laughs> I think it's formed about 900% of my personality, which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I think but we're about to find out. The one, the only sex in the city. The best TV show of all time. Bold claim number one. So, so <laughs> Sex in the City follows four ladies in four ladies in their thirties. So we've got Carrie, who's a journalist, Miranda, who's a lawyer, Samantha, who's a publicist and is um an incredibly raunchy character um and then charlotte uh york who is uh works in an art gallery she's very traditional very proper and what what the series is is it follows these four women as they navigate their 30s and life in new york city as single women uh it's about falling in love it's about finding out who you are it's about friendship um it's about being a woman it's about all the complexities we feel um it's a beautiful love story of four women, but it is also one of the funniest things I've ever seen on television. And again, when we talk about, we spoke about earlier about being observational, the way that this show just shoves its hand into any problem, pulls out <laughs> the remains and just somehow gets to the crux of what we needed to know. And this show makes you feel like not only is it okay, it's okay, let's talk about it and let's have a good old bitch. That is what the show is about. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's one of those shows that kind of, 
it has a sort of rich place in kind of television history is because so many people know it, so many people love it. But on the other hand, so many people also hate it as well. It's kind of, it is quite polarized. And I think that's just because it, I, I, I can't, because there's very different people I know that love and also hate it as well. And I think a lot of the hate comes from the fact is that you, you can't, it's not cool to like it. But you know what? Yeah. There's, there's a total generation. I, I was speaking to my friend yesterday and I was talking about your top 10 because I just read it through. And as soon as I mentioned Sex in the City, she just kind of went off on one and was just kind of, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's just great. So, and it kind of, that to me summed it up that, you know, there will be, hopefully there'll be a lot of people listening to this that will just, you know, will whoop and cheer when, as soon as you, you mentioned Sex in the City because it has such a place in kind of TV mm. and also kind of society because it yeah. did it did show kind of four strong sassy you know kind of you know uh, you know work working women that kind of had all of these problems these frailties these insecurities these these issues the de- you know the dating the modern life it just i think it summed up a generation for me the best thing about the show is how you see those four women and one of my favorite things as well is how it shows women are sexy whatever age and i've seen that with i'm just like that since that's come back i think thank fuck we're making space where women can take ownership of how they look how they feel um who says 50 isn't sexy who says 60 isn't sexy i tell you what these women look incredible as you can see excitement passion off she goes off she rants um I think people are always gonna hate it I think that's fine you do you but for me it will always remain I think I found it just after uni again everyone had hyped about it the first series is a bit random it's like very much again finding its feet but when you get into those characters and you get sucked into that universe I don't care how silly Carrie is supposedly running around New York in these little tiny heels I think she's I think she's wonderful you know, there's so many contradictions in it, but when you put that aside and you get swept away or carried away, no, you can only enjoy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Very good. Listen, I've got to say, um, as a as a walk through your TV top ten, that was that was um, superb, but also think I think beautifully explained, beautifully uh, summed up. Clearly, the journalism is working in the background there with an awful lot of kind of the choices that you made and also the reasons why, which is, I think, probably why I enjoyed it quite as much. And also the fact that just the breadth, there's, there's, there's light and shade in there. There's kind of comedy. There's very serious. There's frippery, but there's heft as well. So I just think it, 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 it's a, a brilliant top 10. Thank you. Thank you. It was a really, it was a really, really nice podcast. Well, I've got to say, as top 10s go, that was textbook. Please do like and share. And if you have any top 10 lists, then ping it over. We'd love to see them. Finally, I'd like to dedicate this episode of a much-loved actor and writer who we sadly lost last week. Matthew Perry was and will remain one of the most loved comedy characters as Chandler Bing. His passing has affected so many, but as is only fitting and we will always have the laughs and will always be one of our friends. See you next time on my Top 10 TV podcast. My Top 10 TV podcast is a Euron Mute original production.